We interrupt your special announcement to bring you this regularly scheduled programming. Did you just break wind in my presence? Hey, it's Coolio if you don't know, and it is time for yet another episode of Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. This is your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. And um, yeah, it is the weekend now. Can you believe it? And it is a pretty beautiful day here in uh, downtown Halifax. Like 14 or 15 degrees or something like that right now. But we will get to some more weather details in about half an hour's time for now. Uh, let us take a look at what is new over at Low Bias Gaming. And it's pretty much um, pretty much a Jason story right now, uh, as it has been for a while. I keep saying that um, I'm going to be posting some new stuff, and then I don't. And then I feel bad about it. But, you know, you do what you do, and um, sometimes you can't do it all, eh? Anyway, right now we have um, five new episodes of Vagrant Story, um, as well as a Let's Play of Otaki, uh, which is part of the new Low Bias Monthly, which I have selected. Uh, games where music is a, um, a primary uh, mechanic in the game. Um, and Otaki is kind of an outlier in that field. It is a bizarre game. And um, I would recommend taking a look at that. And uh, also, for Low Bias Monthly News, Adventures of Lolo is what Jason has selected to play for the um, November 2017 monthly, which I, I think that he had a, um, a game picked out for that previously and it disappeared for some reason. So, um, yeah, Adventures of Lolo. It's a pretty good game. Um, also, over on the forums, we have 365 days of the Super Nintendo with Rise of the Phoenix being the latest entry there. We have a soundtrack for Clash of Demon Head, and Jade Pharaoh has posted something quite interesting in the forum uh, that is um, basically going through seeing all of the voice actors who have uh, done voices for the Danganronpa series being 1-2-V3 uh, and Ultra Despair Girls and seeing what else that they have, um, seeing what other works that they've done. And it's kind of interesting, uh, the one that I always say is the most interesting is the voice of, um, uh, what was it, Hajime? There we go, Hajime Hinata who also did Rantara uh, Amami, uh, Johnny Young, Johnny Young Bosch, Bosch. And if you recognize that name, possibly from the Power Rangers, he was Adam. Uh, he also did Artemis and Sailor Moon. He did Jojo. He did, um, oh geez, I have run out of time on my, on my song here. Um, anyway. You can go ahead and check that out on the forum. Let's get some archive music. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax.
You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. That song was by Michael Land, and it is named Introductions. It is the introduction song to this game from the archives. The Monkey Island Saga is known throughout the gaming world as one of the best point-and-click adventures, and The Secret of Monkey Island is the game that started it all. Play as Guybrush Threepwood as he tries to become a pirate. Meet the lovely Elaine Marley, the evil ghost pirate LeChuck, a three-headed monkey, and more. Have Guybrush engage in, in insult sword fighting, look for buried treasure, evade deadly piranha poodles, and attempt to discover the secret of Monkey Island. Pirates, adventure, monkeys! Relive the, the hilarious swashbuckling misadventures of the wannabe pilot, pirate Guybrush Threepwood as he attempts to become the most infamous pirate in the Caribbean. Back by popular demand, the secret of Monkey Island Special Edition faithfully reimagines the internationally acclaimed classic pirate adventure game from LucasArts in gorgeous age detail. Featuring an all-new reimagined contemporary art style, hand-drawn and presented in 1080p, complete voiceover by members of the original Monkey Island franchise cast, a remastered musical score using live instruments plus scene-for-scene hot swap to seamlessly transition between special edition and classic modes at any time. And this is The Secret of Monkey Island Special Edition. It is a point-and-click adventure game for the PC, developed and published by LucasArts. The special edition was released in 2009. I don't remember when the original was released, but it was like around 1994, I want to say. I could be wrong. In any case, um, yeah, this is a really, um, this is quite an interesting game. It's uh, very definitive of the entire genre, um, and it's probably one of the landmark releases that uh, LucasArts came out with. Um, interestingly enough, Ron Gilbert... Um, the guy who made Monkey Island moved on to things like, um, oh, what was it, like Putt-Putt, and uh, I can't remember the other ones, but all sorts of, like, kitty games like that, so it's kind of an interesting thing. I think he might be trying to crowd, to crowdfund a new adventure game that would be a, a little more, a little more appeal to everyone, so uh, do keep an eye out for that, but in the meantime, you can check out the uh, Secret of Monkey Island. Let's play on lowbiasgaming.net. Ragnat Ragnats brings us 11 episodes for your enjoyment.
That was Devils Devils Never Cry by Jane Grey. And you are listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. And speaking of weird, it is time for the news of the weird, as it always is around this time of the show. Uh, as I usually mention, I am looking for something similar to, but not news of the weird itself, in that same digest format. If you have any information on that, please let me know over at Twitter, at SquareSym, S-Y-M. Also, I do not read these stories ahead of time, and some of these may not jive well with all audiences, but they have been scanned for any objectionable content. This this segment is about 13-15 minutes long or so, so take that as you will. Our lead story for today, New World Order. In Raleigh, North Carolina, residents of the Dakota apartment complex are stepping out a little more confidently after management engaged the services of a company called Paws Life, P-A-W-Z Life. The Raleigh News and Observer reported on March 22nd that residents were growing disgusted with the amount of dog feces on the sidewalks and green spaces around the complex. Which became brown spaces, I'm sure. So management... Yes. So management turned to a high-tech solution. Residents who own dogs are required to bring them to a pup party, where Paws Life collects their DNA with a simple saliva swipe and creates a, quote, unique DNA profile for each dog. The company then visits the neighborhood to pick up any stray poop, and owners whose dogs are a match with the poop DNA are fined $100 per offense. Paws Life owner Matthew Malik said, We are just trying to make the earth a little bit better to live on. That's not a bad idea. I mean, if you, if you have a pet, and you take it out for walksies, and it decides to um, to offload its cargo, let's say, do remember to pick it up. It's not pleasant to look at, and it's also kind of your responsibility. So, you know, just remember to do it, or else if you're in Raleigh, North Carolina, something like that, like that might happen. Our next story, nothing better to do, dot, dot, dot. I'm seeing the next story after that probably follows that dot dot dot, so they're probably a bit related. Anyway, traffic on a street in the Koreatown neighborhood of Los Angeles came to a virtual stop as two cars two cars engaged in a legendary standoff over a parking space on April 1st. Fox News reported that Mar- Mariah Flores who was positioned across the street, documented the entire two-hour dispute on Twitter as the black car and silver car jockeyed to parallel park in one open spot along the sidewalk. As horns honked and tensions mounted, a, quote, plot twist changed the whole dynamic. The owner of a third vehicle parked in front of the empty space left, leaving room for both black and silver to park. The drivers quickly settled their vehicles in the spaces, but then sat in their cars for some time. Like, are they afraid of each other, or is it just awkward now, Flores wondered. The dri- Finally, the driver of the silver car emerged, prompting Flores' comment, Silver takes the gold. 
Well... I mean, if nobody is going to arbitrate it, someone may as well live-tweet the situation, right? And also, that pun was quite delicious. Next story, dot dot dot, and too much money to do it with. Oh boy. A wealthy San Francisco philanthropist, Flores Fang, 84, is being sued by the, Hill the city of Hillsborough over the, quote, Flintstones home and grounds that uh, she has created in the suburb. The oddly shaped house was built in 1976 and Fang bought it in 2017. Today it's painted purple and red, features a large yabba dabba doo sign near the driveway, and Fang has added dinosaur and mushroom figurines along with Fred Flintstone himself to the yard. We don't like it when people build things first, then come in and demand or ask for permission later, huffed Assistant City Attorney Mark Hudak, who told KTVU Fang built without the proper permits, and the property is subject to code violations, along with offending the neighbor's aesthetic sensibilities. Oh my. Cry me a river, build a bridge, and get over it. Uh, yes. Uh, but Angel Angela Eliotto, Fang's attorney, said the home is Fang's, quote, happy place. Fang doesn't live in the home, but uses it for entertainment and charitable events. She's had an incredible life, and I think it's wonderful that at 84 years old, she has found something that makes her so happy, Eliotto told the San Mateo Daily Journal. I mean, I can, I can kind of agree that... If you're going to build something prominent in your property, you should probably make sure that you have the permission to do so. However, if you spent your entire life doing nice things for people, then maybe it's good to have something nice done back to you. Just saying. People different from us. Kaz James, 37, from Salford, Greater Manchester, England, has known since he was a child he was different from other people. I didn't ever feel like a human. I always felt like a dog that was really out of place, James told Metro News. He first started to understand his peculiarity when he gained access to the internet at 17 years old. I was known by my friends for grabbing hold of the collar of their shirt and my teeth, biting or licking them, very canine type behaviors, James said. Today he eats out of a dog bowl and owns three custom-made dog suits, one a $2600 uh, $2, fur suit shipped from Canada. My behaviors were quite dog-like in childhood, probably from the age of six, he said. Nobody ever talked about it. It was never mentioned. I mean, there's being a furry, and then there's being an animal. But you know what? If you're not hurting anyone, if you're not biting anyone who is not expecting to be bitten, you do you. Shine on, Crazy Diamond. Um, our next story, Family Values. The Carter County, Tennessee Sheriff's Department had some strong leads in the death of Edith Betty Ralph, 75, on April 6th, but none stronger than the behavior of John Christopher Ralph, 51, Edith's son, who had been living with her and had repeatedly complained to friends and family that she was, quote, driving him crazy. 
the night of Mrs. Ralph's murder, John asked co-workers to take pictures of him at work saying if, that if anything happened to his mother he would need an alibi, according to the Sheriff's Department. Uh, ABC News reported that e Edith was found deceased due to severe head trauma and several gunshot wounds. John was stopped at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport ready to board a flight for Amsterdam. He was held on a $1 million bond. Our next story, uh, the aristocrats, and there's two stories under this heading. First, when you purchase a new home, you need new stuff to put in it. So it was for Andrew Francis Lippy, 59, of Key, ha Kate, nah, of Key Haven, Florida. There we go. Lippy purchased an $8 million private island, Thompson Island, off Key West in early April, which includes a large estate previously owned by philanthropist Edward B. Knight. That's two philanthropists in one news of the weird. That's interesting. But on April 6th, Lippy was charged with felony grand theft for stealing $300 worth of home goods from Kmart, including two coffee makers, eight light bulbs, and a bed skirt. His method was clever. He bought the items then returned their boxes with other things packed inside, according to the Miami Herald. For example, a basketball was in the carrying box. Lippy, speaking to the Herald, denied the charges and said, Basically, it has to do with a commercial dispute. It's very complicated, and I'd rather not get into it. He's scheduled to appear in court on April 18th. I'm not, I'm definitely not going to blame the Walmart people for not checking because honestly, the Walmart people are not, are not paid enough for a job that is very stressful. But that doesn't mean that you get to take advantage of that. I mean, if, if you've just bought an $8 million private island, I think you can afford the $50 keyring without having to steal it. Seriously. And secondly, Lauren Janai, 47, co-founder with her ex-husband of CrossFit, has struck up a new romance with an old flame. Franklin Tyrone Tucker, also 47, who resides at the Stock Island Detention Center in Florida where he awaits trial for first-degree murder and armed robbery. Janai sold her CrossFit shares for $20 million after her divorce and now lives in Portland, Oregon. She and Tucker, childhood friends, reconnected on Facebook before Tucker's arrest, and she has risen to his defense offering to put up his $1 million bond, which was denied in January, and hiring private investigators for his case. She has not been able to see Tucker in prison, but they were enjoying video visitation until, by Janai's admission, she got a little risque. As, as she quote, I was touching my boobs. Her account was suspended, but so she began using her mother's account, but it happened again. My boobs popped out at some point. It happens. Sure does. Uh, Tucker and Janai are scheduled to wed in prison, and she told the Daily, uh, the Daily Mail she won't ask him to sign a prenup. It feels, quote, a little inappropriate. I trust him. I love him. My house is his house. Well, right now his house is the big house, but, you know, he might get out someday. Who knows? And our final story of the day, what's in a name? The Smuggler's Inn on Canada View Drive in Blaine, Washington, and Canada View Drive in the States, apparently, sits just a stone's throw from the Canadian border. Okay, I, that makes sense. 
Fittingly, on April 4th, a Canadian court charged its owner, Robert Joseph Boole, 69, with 21 counts of inducing, aiding, or abetting seven people who tried to illegally... Mm. Excuse me, who tried to illegally enter Canada between May 2018 and March 2019. Bull had remarked to CBC News in the past that it wasn't unusual to see people with night vision goggles sneaking across the border at night. He remains in custody in Canada. Canada. Such a nice country that people just need to come in here, I guess. Well, there are worse alternatives. But we shall not discuss those right now. We shall discuss the weather, and it is um, very lovely weather outside right now. 13 degrees. So it was a little off of my little 14 or 15 thing, but um, still, 13 degrees. It is pro it is um, properly spring now, and if you're tired of the snow, then um, good news, there's no snow in the forecast. However, there is rain, and that is starting tonight. With periods of rain and a low of 1 degree, not much rain, about 2 millimeters. Uh, periods of rain also tomorrow, uh, with a high of 12, Saturday, April 13th. Uh, looking at about 5 to 10 millimeters, with winds south 20 kilometers an hour, becoming southwest 30, gusting to 50 in the morning. High 12, except 8 in onshore winds. And uh, at night... Rain ending in the evening and then cloudy with 60% chance of showers or drizzle. Clearing before morning. Fog patches dissipating before morning. About 5 millimeters to be expected. Uh, wind southwest 30. Gusting to 50 becoming west 20 overnight. And a low of 6 degrees. Sunday, April 14th. A mix of sun and cloud and a high of 12. Going down to a low of plus 4 and periods of rain at night. Uh, Monday, April 15th. Some more rain and a high of 10 going down to a low of 2, uh, plus 2 and showers overnight. Um, Tuesday, April 16th, a 30% chance of showers and a high of plus 8 going down to a low of minus 1 and cloudy periods at night. Wednesday, April 17th, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of plus 9 going down to a low of 0 and cloudy periods at night. And Thursday, April 18th, cloudy skies and a high of 9 degrees. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax and let's get some music going.
That was Paralysis by Tiasu, and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. And if I sound a little different right now, it's because I'm doing this a little bit differently. Uh, is because uh, we have an interview lined up. Yes, we do. It's been a while, hasn't it? And this time it's with a um, game developer over in Truro, Nova Scotia by the name of Thomas Guinan. Hello. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Um, so yeah, Thomas uh, is kind of interesting in that um, he has recently developed a um, Nintendo Entertain- Entertainment System game uh, called Alfonso's Arctic Adventure. Yeah. Um, so if you would introduce yourself um, other than just Alfonso's Arctic Adventure, what um, what sort of things do you do? All right. Um, basically, um, as of right now, I'm a, uh, I'm a full-time indie game developer. Um, my Alfonso's Arctic Adventure is my latest release, uh, which uh, was funded on Kickstarter. Um, I've had a, a couple of other NES games that I've released before that. I, uh, I've worked with uh, Limited Run Games uh, on contract to do a uh, version of the uh, Golf minigame from Golf Story on uh, the NES. Yeah, I do remember so, seeing that. Yeah, so that came out in, uh, I guess that was released earlier this year, that it was uh, it was announced last September, I think. and then. Uh, in 2017, I released my first game, which was uh, Eskimo Bob, also for the NES. All right. Um, so what, um, just going back some ways, what originally got you into gaming in general? Ah, uh, well, that, this, this is going back pretty far, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, I'm back, uh, when I was, uh, a wee young lad, uh, my, uh, <laughs> My grandparents bought the, uh, the original uh, NES that came with the uh, Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt bundle, and uh, that was sort of my first real exposure into uh, gaming. And uh, yeah, so uh, like a lot of kids back in those days, uh, I really got into uh, Super Mario Brothers, and then it sort of spread out from there. We got uh, Legend of Zelda not long afterwards, which was just you know that that opened up a whole lot more doors, and then it just it grew from there. So, and eventually, you must have gotten the idea that you want us to start making games. Yeah, yeah, and actually, that that sort of is a, a big story as well because it started out back in the uh, the late '90s. I started actually with uh, just sort of hacking NES games back when the, uh, the NES emulation scene nice. was kind of a, a new thing. So I. Uh, did a lot of hacks, um, some translations of Japanese games into English. And I was pretty pretty involved in that scene for a while, sort of dropped out, um, worked, went back to school, did some stuff, and then um, I was taking computer science at Dow. Sort of towards the end, while I was getting close to graduating, I uh, found out sort of about the NES homebrew development scene. and. Uh, I bought uh, Battle Kid, which is a pretty well-known NES homebrew yeah. game. 
came out a few years ago. So I bought that and I sort of was playing it and thinking, man, a guy just made this. I, <laughs> I feel like I can do this. So, And uh, that's sort of how uh, my first game was born. So. Excellent. Yeah. Um, we'll get back to that in a moment. Now, um, your, um, your personal creations involve a, um, a series called Eskimo Bob. Yeah. Uh, so how did you come up with that? Uh, that is that started in uh, 2001. Actually, it was a uh, I was 19 at the time. So my brother and I were just sort of joking around. We uh, and we came up with this with this idea, um, just making this simple flash cartoon. On, and uh, we posted it on Newgrounds, and it really took off. So for a few years in the early 2000s, it was it was a pretty popular series on Newgrounds. And then sort of over time, it sort of died off. Uh, then when I came, when I got to the point of making my own game, I sort of thought, well, I already have these characters, I might as well use them. Nice. So, did you uh, know at the time about Homestar Runner, or is that actually we didn't? And it, nice. I hadn't heard about Homestar Runner until maybe a year into making our own stuff, and uh, so it was completely it was, out of the blue. It was completely out of the blue, and. <laughs> We specifically made a point, like, I think it was about after we had put out the episode 32, somebody on our forum posted and said, uh, the Eskimo Bob was starting to feel like Homestar Runner, and we hadn't <laughs> actually watched it. And I was like, okay, if people think that we're copying this series that we haven't actually watched, maybe we should intentionally not watch it so people don't think we're copying it. Really? <laughs> yeah, so we actually, to this day, I've never actually watched Homestar Runner. Oh, wow. Yeah, but apparently there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do remember mentioning that um, when I was doing the episode that mentioned uh, Alfonso uh, a few weeks ago, it was like vaguely Homestar Runner-esque, but um, I guess it has zero to do with Homestar Runner if you've never seen it before. Yeah, and it was, it's funny because it was sort of a conscious decision after the comparison was made. It was like, no, we're not watching it. I, I don't have anything <laughs> against it, but I was like, well, yeah. I, I don't want to copy it. If you're, so it's <laughs> just to keep myself original, even though I haven't made the, uh, the Flash cartoon in years, it just sort of always was, I don't know, a thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so eventually, like you said, decided to get into NES development now. Um, compared to PC development, I'm sure there are a lot of um, interesting challenges to face. Yeah, there are some. Uh, and actually, there um, I do most of my programming for the NES and C, so there's actually a lot of similarities as well. Um, but there's um, there's limitations for sure, yeah. and I think that's the biggest thing. Is I'm working with like extremely extremely limited amounts of ram for one thing um like i only have after you take into account various things i think it's um, uh 1.2 kilobytes or so of ram that i have to oh. work with um my first game the entire game um there was uh, the full compiled game was 40 kilobytes mm -hmm. uh then uh, Alfonso is actually I used a, a memory mapper, so it's 256 kilobytes. So it's right, nice. it's it's enormous in comparison. But if you compare that to uh, modern games, it's still ridiculously tiny. So 
there's definitely uh, a lot of memory limitations, and that's sort yeah. of, that's the biggest the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, you you do mention that um, Alphonse's Ar- Arctic Adventure is a pretty big game, and if I recall, it's ninety six levels. Uh, yeah, more or less. I think it's ninety one levels actually. But there's and there's some secret areas that are sh- sort of stored as level data, so. Depending on your definition of levels, it'd be anywhere from 96. But. Well, it's in any case, it's certainly more levels than, um, let's say, Super Mario World claims it has. It didn't have 96 levels, it had 96 exits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, although to be fair, my levels are a little smaller. But still, huh. it's, it's a, for an NES game, it's a pretty decent sized game. Yeah, for sure. So, what. Um, what other sort of projects do you have uh, going on? Uh, so I've actually working. Um, I'm working on a uh, another contract, which uh, right now I'm sort of bound by an NDA. I can't really say what it is, but uh, it is an NES game. It's uh, it's based on a licensed property, which is pretty cool because I think this is the first time a new NES game has been made based on a uh, licensed property in a long time like probably 25 years or so so I mean, wow. that, that's pretty exciting um yeah it certainly sounds that way yeah and i'm uh, it's it's kind of killing me that i can't tell people about it because <laughs> it's it's very the uh the uh license that i'm working with is it's very on brand with uh nes fans and, and geek culture and that kind of stuff i think it's it's definitely gonna get people interested um, any time frame on that, or is too early to tell, or you just can't? Uh, I can't really say too much. Um, it'll probably be coming out in the fall. I'd probably say that, but uh, yeah, I just that's about all I can really say. And the, and the style of game is different than uh, the Eskimo Bob, Eskimo Bob and uh, Alfonso. This is more of a like a, like a River City Ransom style beat 'em up with. Uh, player multiplayer and stuff so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun i don't doubt it at all um let's see so how since the since the game did uh come out how was it working with sidebar games to make galf uh that was it was pretty interesting um i actually didn't directly work that much with sidebar it was more through limited run oh okay um so, but Cyber did provide me with a few assets, like uh, like graphical assets and that sort of thing. But really, uh, for the most part, Galf, um, it was just sort of built from the ground up. Oh. Yeah, a lot of the assets, even though the original game looks very similar to an NES game, it was uh, it was developed as a modern game, and I kind of just had to start from scratch to get it working. So I sort of used Galf, their version of Galf, as a basis and uh, did my own remake of it. Hmm. I think it turned out pretty good. I, I certainly don't doubt it. I, I, I haven't personally seen uh, your version of Galf, but um, uh, I can't imagine that it was all that hard to, well, in relative speaking terms anyway, all that hard to port over. Um, <laughs> you can no, correct me was, if I'm wrong. No, no, it was, it was a pretty, like, uh, it was... It was Logistically, it was a pretty simple project. I mean, there was a few, a few things to work around, but it was it was definitely uh, feasible. Mm-hmm. 
very reminiscent yeah. too of um, NES Golf Open. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I, I think I probably um, was sort of used the original NES Golf as a basis more than the, more than the actual uh, Golf. Aside from the um, you know the the interface and the layouts and, and that sort of thing, but just sort of when I was looking at something to compare it next to, it was easier for me to just sort of fire against emulator and, and put in golf or yeah. golf. And, yeah. Golf, golf, gilf. Golf, golf. So exactly. some some vowel in there. <laughs> just pick one. Pretty much. And, uh, there you go. Um, I think that's more or less what I got for you today. Um. Can we uh, get an idea of uh, where to find you on the internet? Sure. Um, my website is uh, it's at uh, spooniebird.ca. Um, you can get both physical and digital versions of uh, most of my games there. Besides Galp, is that that one I didn't publish? So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And um, so the last thing is, um, as usual, I do offer the opportunity for the interviewee to pick the next song that's going to be playing, and you picked a song by Mango Schmango called Elated. Right, and that song, it's actually, um, it's a song that's in the uh, soundtrack for Alfonso Sardic Adventure. Um, it was composed by my 12-year-old son, and uh, I feel like he is, he's actually a very talented musician in his own right, so I, I was really happy to include one of his songs in the game. Yeah, I did. I did have a listen before um, starting the interview. It sounded really good. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing the proud dad thing. Here, so. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, uh, let's um, let's get it going and uh, put that on for you guys. Um, and I do thank you, uh, Thomas, for taking the time to be on the show. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax.
that song was a Playful Wednesday by From Nostalgia, and that brings an end to the episode for today. It's a bit early, but um, I probably don't actually have the time to run anything else right now. So we're going to end it here, and I shall be back next week with some more stuff for you all. Uh, in the meantime, there will be plenty more to enjoy here on CKDU, so stay tuned. And I shall be back with you next week. Square Wave Symphony is based on the format of the Electric Leftovers podcast by Jason Parton of Low Bias... Excuse me, Low Bias Gaming, lowbiasgaming.net. News of the Weird is written by the editors at Andrews McNeil Syndication, newsoftheweird.com. Segment music composed by Format, Manama Namiki, Noriki Kimikura, Simon Woodington, Whalebone, Ann, and Snare. Stay tuned for the Astrology Show coming up next on CKDU, followed by the Witching Hour Earth and Sky at 7 p.m. and at 8.30, anything goes with CKDU Surprise. Comments, questions, want your chiptunes featured on the show? Email me at squaresim at lowbiasgaming.net or get in touch on Twitter at squaresim. You can also call the CKDU feedback line at 902-494-8041. There is also a podcast version of the show. It's available on lowbiasgaming.net slash squaresim or just search for Square Wave Symphony. Square Wave is one word on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or TuneIn Radio or whatever podcast app you so desire. Uh, this has been Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. I'm Coolio if you don't know, and I'll see you guys next time.